the idea that every time I got in front of the camera and every time I hit upload and I wasn't super pumped about who I was showing the world as myself, you know, that was exciting to me. I was excited that I was moving into fear as opposed to recoiling away from it. I just think we can only live so long kind of retreating. Today on the podcast, we're joined by YouTuber Cody Warner. Cody is a daily vlogger whose goal is to encourage the doers. He's also responsible for the No Small Creator movement, a movement that suggests that there's no such thing as a small creator. Whether you're creating for an audience of one or one million, the concept of creation is just so large that the term small creator didn't make sense to him. Cody's content has picked up a lot of traction recently after his collaboration with Peter McKinnon. Cody talks about why he started daily vlogging, how to balance his family life with YouTube, and gives us the details on how the Peter McKinnon collaboration came together. If you watch Cody on YouTube, you know he brings a ton of energy to everything he does, and he did just that for this podcast. It's really fun sitting down with him, and we think you'll really enjoy our conversation with Cody Warner. All right, we're here back in the studio. Colin's back on the podcast, which is great. It's good to be back. And we are joined by Cody Warner. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just super pumped. Good joke. I'm yeah. just really excited. We, we like to open with a good joke. Yeah, I'm glad you love that, Cody. Crushed it. Yeah, crushed it. Um, so Cody just got into L.A. last night, and he also kicked through some seamless paper here in our studio about 10 minutes ago. So off to a great start to um, our relationship, I guess. It's the right. first day we've ever met. Really starting with a bang. Yeah. So um, why are you in L.A.? I'm in L.A. because I'm calling it a West Coast tour. I think because secretly I've always wanted to be like in a band on a tour, maybe. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, I mean, the real reason is that I um, just had all this big stuff happen on my YouTube channel. And I felt like I needed to come out here and like go and collaborate with as many people as I could on, on YouTube and, uh, and just like have fun, have a blast together. You've had a lot of really exciting stuff happen on YouTube for you this year in 2018. Yeah. How long have you been on YouTube? Um, so technically, my channel has been around since 2006, I believe, um, because I made one in college. Someone was like, you don't have YouTube? And I was like, I guess I don't. Um, but I then started daily vlogging on January 1st of 2018, so the first of this year. So had a YouTube channel for 12 years, mm-hmm. decided to start daily vlogging. Um, you're 32. You have a, a wife and two kids. Yes. How did that happen? How did you make that decision to start daily vlogging? Yeah. So I, uh, two years ago now, a little bit over two years ago, saw my first Casey Neistat vlog, and I didn't even know what it was. Like, I didn't even know what the medium was or anything about it. I just, I just saw it and I was like, this is awesome and a different way to tell stories than I've ever seen before. And I love that this guy is doing it and I got addicted to it. And I immediately thought I have the personality for this and the technical ability for this. And I just sat on that thought for like a year and a half. I would occasionally bring it up to my wife, but it just didn't ever seem like the time was right. There's too much going on. At the end of 2017, I heard a guy named Grant Cardone say in a book, if there's something you know you need to do, just do it and stop thinking about it. And I, um, I immediately thought daily vlogging. I immediately thought mm-hmm. I got to get, the, I got to start the vlog and talk to Amber. And she was like, yeah, let's go for it. And, uh, 
And so I did do one test. I went and I got some beer for New Year's Eve. We were having a New Year's Eve party. I grabbed some beer. I took my camera along to make sure that I could like actually speak to a camera in public. And after that test, I was like, well, I guess I can do this. So I started. So outside of having the technical ability and feeling like you had a good personality that was suited for being on YouTube, right. what was the purpose? Why do that? Yeah. My, I've always been an encourager. I, lo- like I thrive when I'm encouraging other people, when I'm trying to find what is the thing that maybe they're just, that like they're gifted in, but they're just struggling with a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. And then try to like grab that and pull it out of them and, and speak into, look, this is why you're, this is what you're doing an amazing job of, and I love this about you, whatever. So I realized that on YouTube, there's kind of this opportunity to do that, but at a, at a massive scale. And that was my whole idea is I want to encourage entrepreneurs and creators. Later on, I kind of expanded that into doers. Just if you're trying to do something, I want to encourage you to do it. And so your, your mantra, your rally cry now is no small creator. How long in the process of daily vlogging did that come about? How long did it take for you to realize that that, yeah. that was a message you wanted to spread? And what exactly is that message? Right. So the story behind that is interesting, actually. Um, I was trying to get Boosted Board to give 10 small creators, quote unquote, a Boosted Board for free. I was like, Casey Neistat's all about small creators with what he's doing with 368. I bet Boosted Board's behind it. So I was making this pitch to mm-hmm. Boosted. And in that pitch, I keep saying small creators this, small creators that. And the whole time in my brain, I'm like, that is such a stupid thing to say. Why am I saying that over and over? So I go off on a little rant. You know, there's really no such thing as a small creator because creation's massive. And, you know, we should stop saying that. You can have a small channel. You can be a small YouTuber. You can have a small following. But there is no small creator. And um, that stuck. And so later on, I made a video um, specifically dedicated to that idea and made the hashtag. And then people caught on. People called me. They, they found my phone number on the internet and called me and said, what are you doing? What is this no small creator? How do I be a part of it? And... Um, and yeah, so it really took off, and people started using the hashtag mostly on Instagram, and and uh, and feeling you know feeling themselves that they were a part of the no small creator movement. And then now it's grown to I think we have just under seven hundred people in the in the group. It's a free group, you know. It's just all you have to do to join it is be a part of uh, YouTube, be creating stuff on YouTube, be committed to encouraging others, and then be uploading consistently on some sort of schedule. And as long as those three, you know, qualifications are met, you can join the group and, and encourage other people um, to create and to get stuff done. I actually just got accepted into the group. Yeah, you did. Yeah, very exciting. I put Upload my application kiss. in, <laughs> and I was kind of nervous about it, but I'm glad you accepted me on Facebook. It wasn't actually me who accepted you. Okay. That's funny, though. I, yeah. I would have loved to have seen your name. Yeah. I, I would love to see who or talk to who did accept you, because yeah. that's fun. Yeah. It's, it's cool, though. The, the, I, I wrote down a note to um, talk to you about the Facebook group, because I thought it was such a good idea and such a cool community to be yeah. a part of. Um, you know, Hundreds of people were interested in creating, and, and a lot of times when you want to create, the thing that might stop you is like, is there even anyone who's going to receive this? Yeah. And, and having a community like that is like, okay, I can create something and I know for a fact I can post it here and there's going to be a group of maybe five people. Yeah. But in that group, it's like a ton of people who comment and give advice and give mm-hmm. feedback. That's a really awesome initiative, I think. Um, it's beautiful. It's something we try and do with our weekend film fest, mm-hmm. um, create a community around making a video and putting it out there, mm-hmm. and, um, getting feedback, and, and having a community to receive you. 
um, which I think is fascinating. You do it really well, by the Appreciate way. That. I've been a huge fan of the Film Fest, and I mean, and of, and of you, but the Film Fest, I think, is a fantastic way to execute exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, it's really fun. We got to collaborate on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's do it. So I have a bunch of notes in, in my notepad. I have so many questions for you, been yeah. watching your content. Um, you also tipped me off and told me to ask you about flights over the Bermuda Triangle, which I'm not going to ask you yet. I'm going to okay. wait until the end of the podcast All to right. ask that. But I'm really <laughs> curious about that story, like what, what could have happened there. Uh-huh. Um, but I wanted to backtrack. So it's, it's 2018 now. Bring us up to speed. Like, what has happened yeah. prior to this that led you to become a video creator? Have you always been interested in video? Mm-hmm. Um, Colin signaling that he has a question too. Yeah. Hold on. You gonna hop in? Well, there? I just think that's a question that you get all the time when you start making YouTube videos, especially consistently. Is yeah. okay, but what do you actually do? Yeah. What's your career? So, like, what's your background, and how does that play into what you're doing now? Totally. So I picked up a video camera and started recording skate skateboarding videos when I was in middle school. So that was like sixth and seventh grade. And we just liked the idea that we could watch ourselves try to perform these tricks and then be able to improve upon, you know, what we had seen. Um, As I started to kind of transition out of skating as like my full-time thing that I focused every ounce of energy on, I still had a video camera and and I started doing recap videos of my friends and I, just fun experiences like full summers or trips that we would go on. And we all loved it. We just loved being able to relive those experiences. And then I did a good amount of traveling after, after high school, and I did three recap videos for this um, whole traveling experience, and we all loved those. Like, again, just reliving moments. Mm-hmm. And um, so my dad asked me at that point, like, are you going to go to college or not? And I said, yes. I decided to study film. And so I got, you know, somewhat trained in it. And after that, you know, I never really lost the, the passion for making, for making stuff, for making videos, but I, I, didn't, I didn't do it as a career for two and a half years. I was in fundraising, mm-hmm. um, so kind of like sales, but you're not selling a tangible item. You're just asking people for money, which is good. It was a great experience. It's a good skill for, to have. Right, for, for what I'm doing currently, which is pitching. That, so now I pitch videos for my production company. That's my career right now. Um, two and a half years in fundraising, just felt like I needed more control over kind of the creative process of creating systems and structures of like how to build something, just executing my own stuff versus somebody else's plan. And I, uh, I launched out into freelance, partnered up with two, a year later, partnered up with two people who I had graduated from school from. We started Cap Collective Video Production and uh, we started making mostly wedding videos, then transitioned to commercial video, and that's where we're at now. We mostly create commercial videos for small to medium-sized businesses, and I don't actually get behind the camera on them anymore, I, or even the editing suite. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm simply here to try to sell videos and the idea of video and marketing to companies. I think it's funny you said early on you were trying to pitch Boosted Board on an idea, on a concept, yeah. on giving every, you know, small creators yeah. 10 Boosted Boards. Do you think you being a professional pitch man has anything to do <laughs> with some of the recent success you've had on YouTube or just even the way that you operate on YouTube? A hundred percent. So I, I believe that I'm a big, I'm a disciple of Gary Vee. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big advocate of documenting versus creating. I'm a huge advocate of creating, but I just understand that to create is a massive endeavor, right? When you like take nothing and turn it into something, that's huge. Documenting on the other hand is just, I pitch for a living 
come follow me, you know? And so a lot of my creation um, kind of stems from that documentation. So my channel has always been sort of designed around this is how I built a business. It wasn't the, necessarily the right way to do it. I made a lot of mistakes. We can learn from these mistakes. But watch me pitch. Like, this is how I pitch. I've, I've made vlogs that are completely dedicated to pitching. There's that boosted board one. I did one for this gas station out near us called Sheets. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Sheets. The, the whole, I love Sheets, too. It's kind of like a Wawa. <laughs> it's like Wawa. I would say right. Wawa's better, <laughs> but it's kind of like a Wawa. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's good. So <laughs> I made a whole pitch um, for this company called Sheets and, and you know, made a vlog out of it. But I want to show people, like, this is how you try to get other people to do your stuff, to mm-hmm. give you money, to give you... Whatever it is. Whatever it is. I love that idea. Very cool. Yeah, that's such a big part of being an entrepreneur. Yeah. Or even like fulfilling your hobby outside of work. Totally. Knowing how to reach out, knowing how to tell a good story right. within like a business context. Right. So I've had these daydreams in my head that, um, you know, people, as I start now getting more and more opportunities for brand partnerships and deals on my YouTube channel, that people are going to be like, oh, you're selling out. But the, the great thing is, is like literally I've been sold out from the start of this thing. Like I've been <laughs> selling. I've always been selling. So it's, it's on brand for me to be selling. And that's an interesting component to my channel that I, I think I'm not going to have to deal with that, that other, a lot of other creators do have to deal with when they start getting brand partnerships. Yeah, the, the idea of selling out is really fascinating yeah. because <laughs> the reality is like if you're following a YouTube channel, yeah. you know, and you're, you're hoping that that person succeeds, yeah. the, the reality is to continue creating content, you need brand partners, you need a revenue stream. So yeah. like selling out, in a sense, is actually the goal and, and should make the audience really happy. Like, right. Oh, man, I get to continue watching this creator do what he loves mm-hmm. because now brands are on board. Right. Um, there's so many different ways, though, which is fascinating now, to make money on YouTube. I know. You know, I mean, like, people are building huge merchandise businesses. Yep. There's um, a lot of brands that are willing to come in at, at various levels to, yep. to integrate. There's people who are starting companies. I, I wanted to ask you, so you came into this having a media company, has the YouTube channel now led to more people reaching out to work with your company, your media company, to do commercial projects? Yes, 100%. So um, right now we're in talks with one that's in the fashion industry. We're in talks with a big, very big company. We didn't end up getting it because of the project move, but we would have gotten it. But like because of the vlog, and this is a big company. I'm not going to say their name. I don't know where we're at, where we landed with it, but we didn't end up getting the project. But a big company who had seen a vlog and wanted to do commercial work. So um, hands down, you know, my organization sees what I'm doing with the vlog as marketing for our commercial video production company. Yeah, it's a really interesting time where you can be a media company like that and have a face. Yeah. You know, it's like uh, you're not just behind the camera. You you can be in front of it, which is awesome. And that was a weird transition, for sure. Getting in front of the camera Mm -hmm. versus being behind it. Well, tell me about that. What what was... uh, like once you started doing it regularly, I've yeah. heard you say before that um, it was vlog 113 when you yeah. started to feel comfortable. It's 113 yeah. times doing something. So tell me about wh- why did you want to go through 100 days of discomfort? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a huge, I am a huge advocate of yes theories seek, dis- seek discomfort, mm-hmm. right? I, I love facing fear. I'm afraid of heights. I'm afraid of spiders. I love climbing on things, and I love picking up spiders and putting them outside. You know, I, like, I think that when I get afraid, 
I move toward that fear. That's what I think the definition of courage is. And that's something I want to instill in my daughters. I want to instill in everybody around me is move towards fear. Um, so the idea that every time I got in front of the camera and every time I hit upload and I wasn't super pumped about who I was showing the world as myself, you know, that was exciting to me. I was excited that I was moving into fear as opposed to recoiling away from it. I just think we can only live so long kind of retreating, you know, you can only live so long retreating until you have to, until you get something that you care enough about to move forward, move toward whatever it is that scares you. So, um, I love that. Colin and I faced a fear recently. We yeah, jumped, you did. We, we jumped out of a plane. Yeah. I uh, love that bit. Yeah, love yeah, that bit. Which was, <laughs> which was really fun. And it was so funny. The thing we learned so much about fear in it was that for the weeks leading up to it, yeah. we were really afraid of jumping out of the plane and going skydiving. Yes. But once we got on the plane and once we jumped out, it was amazing. It was yeah. so fun. And mm-hmm. the stories you can tell yourself in your head about the fear, um, versus what's when it actually happens. Like Reality. why spend those two weeks yeah. in fear? Yeah. Why do that? Yeah. Right? There's no reason. Mm-hmm. Um, cause you're not actually in danger. Like nothing's, nothing's happening. You're yeah. just thinking about it. So yeah. I, I, that was a, that was a very good lesson in fear for us. It's a mindset, um, you know, yeah. it's a mindset and the fear mindset is, is, is wrecking the world. Mm-hmm. So you talked about um, pitching yourself, yeah. selling yourself, or, or selling an idea. Yeah. Um, you got to collaborate with a, a massive YouTuber, Peter right. McKinnon, over right. 2 million subscribers, very big on the platform, awesome creator. Um, typically, you know, creators like that, you see them collaborating with uh, you know, creators of their size, I guess, of, mm-hmm. of, a, of a bigger size. Mm-hmm. And I think the no small creator concept was embodied to see you on Peter McKinnon's channel and him collaborating with you. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us the story of, of how did you sell that idea to Peter yeah. or to the world or, or how did that come about? Right. So there, I mean, there's so many links in the chain of like, I call, I actually modeled the title of that video. I don't know if you, I don't think I told you this yet, but I modeled it after uh, the title of your video about uh, collabing with, with Yes Theory, 192 days to collab with Peter McKinnon. Um, because there really are, I mean, there's more than I can go into in terms of, you know, titling videos um, directed toward Peter and then getting to be on Peter McKinnon's channel in his B-roll challenge um, as a result of a collaboration with another YouTuber of a, she was, she was actually much larger than me at the time. Her name's Audrey Ember. And um, we did this long distance collab. She's a film student. She's 19. I'm 32. It was really interesting. Mm-hmm. But Peter McKinnon dropped the B-roll challenge that day. And, and I texted her. I'm like, we got to incorporate this into our video. It was already one of the hardest videos either of us had ever made. We got it in there. We got on his channel. He reviewed our B-roll. Um, and then later on, I made a video uh, once I found out that. So let me pause here. I love the game of YouTube. I think YouTube as a game is fun. It's a fun game mm-hmm. to play. How can I get people to see my stuff? How can I grow? How can I increase my audience size? How can I please my, how can I trick them, you know, in a, it's in a amazing fun way? Because if one word is off in a title, that yeah. can do it. Right, right, right. So, and that's interesting to me. I like that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found out that Peter McKinnon was not going to be able to go to VidCon this year because he had just had a baby and he was staying home on kind of like a parental leave with his, with his brand new baby. And so he was not going to be able to go to VidCon. And I searched for Peter McKinnon VidCon. 
And like a lot of very irrelevant stuff came up on YouTube. And I was like, what if I make a video that's, that's kind of directed toward Peter McKinnon about how he's going to be able to go to VidCon because I could be an editor for him, but not just an editor, but a babysitter, mm-hmm. a babysitter editor. And I made this video. It's tongue-in-cheek. It's funny. Um, and he saw it. He ended up seeing it because I think it was number one. It could still potentially be number one for if you, if you get on YouTube in incognito mode and search for Peter McKinnon VidCon. So he saw it. And he thought it was hilarious. He showed his wife. He's like, I got to do a video with this guy. That was kind of the last link in the chain, right? And shot me a direct message on Twitter and was like, come up to Toronto, make a video with me. I flipped out. I said, yes, I'll definitely do it. And didn't really know what to expect. You know, am I just making a video with him in my video? Like, well, I didn't know what it was going to be. I mm-hmm. was trying to really manage my expectations because, like you said, he had 2.2 million at the time. I had 2.7 thousand at the time in terms of subscribers. Well, it turns out his whole idea for the video was going to play off of that very large kind of gap in who in in our subscriber counts because the, his video is about. A creator is a creator is a creator. It doesn't matter the size of your following. So he had really resonated with the idea of No Small Creator and uh, made a whole video about that, kind of used me as a, as a way to tell that story. And uh, the No Small Creator group blew up. My channel, um, I, I added about 20,000 subscribers from that um, collaboration. YouTube, the YouTube algorithm, so again, the game mm-hmm. there, saw the spike in my subscriber level. They ended up giving me YouTube creator on the rise. Um, that added about 3,000 subscribers to my channel. And so the thing about subscribers, there's this, there's this tension here, right? In one sense, we don't care about the numbers. Like, it's not, there's no small creator. Like, we don't care. If you're just talking to one person, that's fine. But in another sense, every new subscriber is a person, is an mm-hmm. actual person that can get out there and do something like maybe as a result of something you said to them on your channel. So in one sense, it doesn't matter. In another sense, every new subscriber is a new potential world changer. And that just blows my mind. So to, to now be in front of more and more people, um, it's just it's an amazing thing to me. Since Creator on the Rise, my channels continue to grow. And that brings us to right now. This all happened very recently. This was in the, within the last month. So the collaboration with Peter McKinnon really was the spark that started to change. The catalyst, yeah. The catalyst, yeah. And I think it's interesting that you said before you made that video about VidCon and Peter McKinnon, you searched Peter McKinnon VidCon. Yeah. And because nothing was there, you knew there was an opportunity to fill that gap. Fill that gap, baby. I think that's one of the best tips you can have for someone who's, you know, trying to figure out this YouTube algorithm, at least right now. And that's where... Samir and I have found success with our video about Beam. We searched and we were like, oh, well, there's no one else has really made a video about Beam. Yeah. When Will Smith started making videos on YouTube, we realized, all right, no one's really talking about Will Smith. Yeah. So if you can find where, they are, where there are these gaps, yep. then it makes it clear to you, okay, let me at least take a shot here and see if I yeah. can fill that gap. Because it's fun. Mm-hmm. So, and it might fail. And that's totally. fine. I think the other key to mention there is gaps that are consistent with who you are and what you want to make. Totally. So like if you're... It is easy to tell when someone's just trying to fill the gap, right? Mm -hmm. But when someone's filling the gap with something that is, like, in their style, on brand, who they are, like, that's just a lovely serendipitous thing, right? Yeah. So um, filling gaps, but because you want to, not because you're just trying to get more views. 
So now you have about 30,000 people yeah. who are watching you. But I actually want to talk about, before all of that, mm-hmm. what your mindset was. I mean, how long were you daily vlogging until the collaboration with Peter McKinnon? Uh, 192 days. So it was, like, it was like seven and a half months. And what was your viewership like then? Um, it started out, I started with 111, mm-hmm. completely inactive. So, so zero views from any of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually made a video where at day 114, um, which was the first time that I really felt like I kind of came into my own because I was in New York City. I was walking through the streets, running through the streets, yelling at my camera yep. on the subway, people staring at me and just didn't care. And it felt like the purest, most beautiful form of vlogging I've ever done. I went to 368 that day, not knowing that Casey was like vehemently opposed to anybody ever coming to his place of work. So I didn't know that. I felt, I feel bad about that still to this day. And, uh, and, you know, just waited outside with a couple other people. There was someone from the Dominican Republic. There was someone from France, like just waiting across the street to see if they could get a Casey sighting. Right. Mm -hmm. So they had all been waiting there for about an hour. I was there for about 15 minutes, just talking to them. I was putting them, I was putting them on the vlog. Mm -hmm. I was, I was, uh, you know, we're just talking. I'm like, this is fun. These are Casey fans. It's fun. Well, Casey walks out of of the new 368 space to go up to his office. And I yell across the street, um, hey, Casey, do you got it? Do you have a second? And he smiles and says, no, (laughs) vehement no, and and walks back inside. So that video is called Quick Chat with Casey Neistat. Mm -hmm. And then the next day, I realized I had an opportunity here to really dig into um, kind of the no theory, right? So there's yes theory. And I actually, I even mentioned yes theory in that. And I say, I love it. You know, I'm a yes person, but and I call Casey a no theory person in that, in that video. And that isn't true. He, he even claims himself. He's a, he's a yes theory person, but just this idea that when you have a laser focused goal, you got to say no to a lot of really good things in order to say yes to great. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I made that video that video got a lot of hate and I got a lot of love and I gained about 2000 subscribers from that video. So before I went up to collab with Peter McKinnon, I got, I had 2.7 K subscribers. Um, and I grew that, you know, over that seven month period. I think one of the things that when I look at your channel that makes you really unique is that is your energy and your enthusiasm for the audience that you have. Mm-hmm. Because I remember six months ago, multiple members of your audience would send us DMs, would send us tweets, and tell yeah. us that we had to check out Cody Warner. <laughs> yeah. And so I think that's another important lesson for people who are creating on YouTube and want to communicate with an audience and with a community. Mm-hmm. You know, treat the audience that you have with the utmost of respect. Oh, you put totally. so much energy into that, you know, maybe thousand people who are there for you no matter what, right. that they were extremely passionate and they wanted to spread the word about you. Yeah. No, I, I really appreciate that. And I really appreciate those you know, those, uh, those original fans, you know? And I mean, the thing is like, that's why you just can't get caught up in the numbers. If you're, if you can inspire one person to reach out to one other person and do something like that is an incredible amount of influence just for one person. Yeah. So yes, it is magnified when it becomes more people, but you affected the world by making a video and that's, that's crazy. 
Very, yeah, absolutely. And and I wanted to just talk and go back to the, the no theory concept. Yeah. So the, the reason why I want to bring that up is I actually recently watched an episode of Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee yeah. with Hassan Minaj and uh, Jerry Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. And Hassan is talking about writing and how he always thinks about people with six packs. And what he says is that the reason why he thinks about a six pack when he's writing is because in order to have a six pack, yeah. You have to have incredible discipline. Yes, you have to work hard every single day. But more importantly, you have to cut out a lot of stuff you love. And so he says when he's writing, it's the same kind of thing. Like he looks at this and he's like, yes, I need to work every single day. But when I look at my script or I look at my material, I'm going to have to cut stuff that I love to make this excellent. Yeah. And I wanted to talk about that concept when it comes to your schedule. Mm -hmm. So you're daily vlogging right now. You have two kids. You have a family you had to cut out some stuff to make yeah. some time for this. Yep. Um, tell me about your schedule. Tell me about what sacrifices have you had to make? What's the push-pull when it comes to making time to daily vlog? Yeah. Hands down, biggest thing I cut out was, was Netflix. So I, I don't get the chance to consume a lot of really great content anymore. Um, like, I'm a huge House of Cards fan. I was, I was a very huge House of Cards fan. I was a huge uh, Breaking Bad fan. Like, I love good TV, you know? Um, but I don't, I can't, I can't watch Netflix anymore. I don't watch TV at night anymore. Um, I mean, that's not true. I do, I do sometimes. Everything I say, I kind of say with a grain of salt. It's like, it changes. It really does change from day to day. I don't always wake up at 3 a.m., but oftentimes I'm waking up at 3 to start editing the video. I'm the type of guy who likes to sleep a little bit, get a little bit of separation from my previous day's content before I actually start editing it. Um, so my schedule is generally wake up at 3 a.m., maybe 4.30 a.m. Sometimes if I'm pushing it, I do sleep in the whole way until 6.30. So there's no hard and fast rules. I always say there's no rules here, right? Um, and then I edit the vlog, go into, go into work out um, occasionally, sometimes just go straight to the office, try to do as many emails as I can, like try to make sure I'm staying on top of client stuff and, and pitches and meetings. I'm horrible at scheduling, so try to stay on top of my schedule. Um, think about what that day's vlog is going to be about. Record the vlog as I'm going throughout the whole day. Hopefully get enough content in before dinner. Get home for dinner at about 6 o'clock. Have dinner with my family. Try to spend time with my kids and my wife from 6 to 8 until we get the girls in bed from eight to nine, generally try to have, you know, just time with my wife so we can connect, um, which does also doesn't always happen. Like all of this doesn't always happen. Um, and then nine to 11 is oftentimes I'm on my phone, uh, responding to comments or, or on Twitter. Um, and this is all changing. I mean, this is all changing because, of how many more comments there are now and how many, how much more interaction there is, which I love and is really hard for me to not be able to engage with all of it. Um, but yeah, try to get it in bed by 11. Oftentimes it's not until 12 and then start it up, start it up again. That's, a, that's an amazing schedule. It's, it's aggressive, but it's what's necessary. Again, right. you got to cut out some stuff and right. the thing that you cut out, it sounds like it was sleep mm-hmm. um, to make some time for that. So the thing that I love about your brand right now is that you make time for live streaming too, which is really cool. Like yeah. live streaming on Instagram, live streaming on, on YouTube. Um, some of the content is live streaming with your wife on yeah. YouTube, which is really fun um, to watch and awesome. You talked about when you were making the decision to daily vlog that you guys had a conversation. You yeah. and Amber had a conversation. Tell me about that conversation. How, how does that happen when you have a partner that's, um, you know, you, you, you live with, you have a family and you talk about like, I'm going to 
do this every single day and it's going to drastically change my schedule and, right. and my life. Tell right. me about that conversation. So she got a, that conversation had happened maybe four times prior to the one where it was a yes, right? And, and those four times prior, it was always a no. It was a, I just don't think this is like right for us right now. I don't think that that's going to be a, that's a big commitment um, you know, I don't want you to kind of overextend yourself. We've got other goals, financial or, or friendship or community or whatever it is. And this time, I'm not sure if there was something different in my eyes or, or I'm not sure really what changed, but, but Amber was on board. She was like, I think you've been talking about this for long enough. I feel like you're serious enough about this, that it's going to work and it's going to mean good things. Um, so she was on board from the beginning when, Stuff really started to happen in terms of, like, I'm talking about when Peter sent me the DM on Twitter, and then when we did that collaboration, and then when those twenty, those first 20,000 people came, um, she really, obviously, maybe not obviously, but got it, understood, like, oh my goodness, this has, this has massive scalability. This could, this could really affect people well and affect us well, you know, in terms of um, our financial goals and, and getting out of debt. And, you know, we have a lot of college debt, a lot of business debt, a lot of personal debt, you know, so we, we, we're people, you know what I mean? And, but she started to see it from that side as well and got really excited about it. And um, so like, you know, I'm away from my family this whole week, this week, but she's hundred percent on board and willing to make it happen and willing to take on that. Like she's basically a single parent for this whole week which is single parents, if you, don't, if you know a single parent, just hug them immediately because they're just crushing. They're, like The fact that anybody can do that is insane to me. Um, and she's putting herself in that position to give me the freedom to be here to, to build what I'm trying to build. And uh, so, yeah, it, it needed to be a conversation because, you know, like you said, we're partners. We're together in life. And she's going to be a part of it because it's such a massive part of my life. And, and that's how it went. Wow. I mean, it's so great to have someone who's, who's supporting that. And, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's not an easy lifestyle to have. Yeah. Um, it's something that, that we toy around with daily. We toy around with it all the time. Like, oh, man, should we just make a video every day? And then yeah. there's like the, the fear of, of all the things you have to cut out and, and the strain it might have on your, yep. on your relationships and, and stuff like that. Um, but the relationship with the audience, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, becomes a lot more a lot deeper, yeah. right? And uh, I think that's really exemplified with, with you. You're doing a meetup today in LA, right? Yeah. So tell, tell me a little bit about that, like, like interacting with your audience members. In, in person. Real, in person, yeah. Yeah. Well, I will say that, you know, this collaboration with you and all the collaborations I've done up to this point, the amazing thing about YouTube is that they're real relationships. We're creating real relationships with people. One of my favorite channels, um, she runs it out of Australia. Her name is Gina Walters. Like, we're friends. My wife is friends with Gina. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's a beautiful thing. When I met you, the two of you, it, we felt like we skipped all of the small talk, skipped everything because we felt like we knew each other from our videos. Yeah. That's insane. That's crazy. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited to meet up with a bunch of them here in L.A., a bunch of No Small Creators, because I feel like I already know so many of them, and we're just hug it out and start talking like we... Like we do in the comments, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, okay, so we have questions, speaking of, of audience interaction. We have yeah. questions from Twitter. Yep. Um, I want to get to those. 
Um, but it might be time for the <sighs> flights over Bermuda Triangle. Is yeah. That a, is that what it is? The, the flight over the... Yeah, flight just, just over one the, flight. Okay, singular flight. The One flight. infamous is this, flight. Is this a scary flight story? Nah. Okay, great. All right. It's fine. Flight. I couldn't have a scary Yeah, <laughs> flight over the B- I mean, Bermuda Triangle. Let's do I it. I hope it's not too scary. Okay. Here's what happened. I was coming back uh, from a cross-cultural in school. I was... Uh, it was, I think, junior year. And... Flying from Puerto Rico up to Philadelphia, right? So right over the Bermuda Triangle. We're watching a movie, and the movie shutters. The lights flicker. They all completely turn off. Okay, so it is a scary this story. This is a scary flight story. <laughs> I'm sorry. Cody. I'm sorry. Oh, my gosh. Um, it just took a turn. Yeah. It, okay, so everything shuts off. Oh, my gosh. A flight attendant grabs a fire extinguisher. And sprints to the cabin, no. sprints to the cockpit, I'm sorry, sprints through the cabin to the cockpit. Opens, you know, opens, we're all just like sitting there, uh, what's, what is happening, right? So um, we start smelling smoke, and we're freaking out. And um, so nobody knows what's going on. Um, I've, I always get the story wrong at this point. Amber would, Amber's like on lock. She knows how to tell the story perfectly. What had happened was there we get we get the news that there's smoke in the cockpit and we're gonna have an emergency landing oh. in West Palm Beach. Okay. Nice place to land. Yeah, not bad. Ninety minutes away from where we currently are. Yeah. I mean so when, they, when they say smoke in the cockpit, it's not it's not So good. they're like, We're gonna prep for we're gonna prep you for a water landing in case that happens. You have Okay. So so they make us reach under our seats and like Feel the strap to get the to get the life vest. I'm so sorry, Colin. This Colin's just became the scariest. Uh, continue. It's the scariest <laughs> episode of the Colin Smear podcast yet. But continue. Um, make us check that out. We get that. They asked for volunteers. Um, so me and a couple of my friends volunteered. We would go back. We would go back to um, to the back, like in case they had to bust out those doors with like the ramps and stuff. Basically, all we had to do was do crowd control. I guess people get nervous, like scared, and they try to like get to the door, and then they can't open the door, so we would have had to do crowd control. So we had to sit in the back, so I was away from Amber. Amber was on this flight with me. That's why she knows the story. We made it to West Palm Beach, no problem. Um, we landed. So what had happened was the heater in between the two windshields, so there's dual windshields on, a, on an airplane, the heater had malfunctioned and shattered the inner windshield. The glass had fallen down on the pilots and, and like, cut them. Like, they had to go to the hospital. But they, they maintained control because they're bosses. And they flew us to West Palm Beach. And uh, that's, why the, that's why the smell of smoke. So when you looked out, I had my camera. I took a couple snapshots, and they made it into a couple newspapers in Philadelphia of the shattered windshield on our airplane. And, uh, yeah, crazy thing was there was a magician on the flight. He did a magic show in the, in the airport. We hopped on another plane, flew up to Philadelphia. Whole thing was done. Wow. Made it. Okay. So, (laughs) yeah. yeah. All right. I love traveling. Don't love flying. Uh, But for some reason, I like to hear these kind of stories just because it always, typically, a lot of these stories end up like fine. Yeah. Of course. You know, like, and that's why I like to hear these stories. But I really want to talk about what, what was your feeling like yeah hey you volunteered so clearly you felt more confident than probably others who felt nervous on right, the flight right but what did you think when you're in the air like what, like just water landing like all this like this stuff is very scary like right. how are you feeling i didn't think i i think i was naive and i didn't think that anything bad was going to happen 
And I just thought, like, we're going to get through this. This is going to be a, this is going to be fine. And, and then, yeah, at the end of the day, we don't make it. We don't make it. You know what I'm saying? It's like, sure. what are you going to do? I can't do any. I can't. Yeah. I can't do anything. Out of your control. Right. Control the things that are in your control. Yeah. You know, you can't control the things. Right. That are the thing that was control. in my control was I can help this flight attendant open sure. this door if need be. You know, and that's so that's why we volu- That's why I volunteered because yeah. I I like to be in control. Interesting. Okay, so um, that was a great story. <laughs> was it? That. Yeah, I liked it. I will say where we differ, you landed and got back on another flight. Yeah. Samir and I would have rented a car. Driven, driven back up to Philadelphia. Yeah, there would be no flying for the next month. Rented right. a car, driven it back to California. Right. Yeah. yeah. But that, that's just how we differ. I commend you for getting back on the flight. Yeah. All right, so let's take to Twitter. Okay. Um, we posted a picture together. We asked some, uh, for some questions. Um, this one is from Michael... Purinton, Michael Purinton, um, how do you function on such little sleep? Yeah, it's a great question. I I have an answer for it because I think about it a lot. It's it's purpose, it's passion. So I think yeah, sleep is extremely important for giving you energy, for giving your body time to rest and recuperate. But potentially even more important than that, for giving you energy and for giving you time to grow, time to recuperate is being passionate about what you're doing. So for me, in my YouTube channel and and with this audience and with this amazing platform and the internet, I feel so passionate and like I've found so much purpose in what I'm doing that it it gives me the energy that I need to do what I need to do. So that's that's how I feel about it. It's like, yes, I needed to make sacrifices. Sleep is a sacrifice right now. I'm not going to I'm not going to get this little sleep for my whole life. I know that. I'll figure out some way to get more sleep at some point. But right now is the time to execute and go hard. Uh, it's not the time to sleep. Quick question. Do your daughters watch YouTube? Do they watch your channel? Oh, yeah. They, they, watch, watch, they watch every day. Yeah. Oh, wow. And do they love it? Yeah, they love That's it. That's so cool. That must be so awesome for them. <laughs> um, okay, so this is a question from Jim's D. Uh, how, do, how do you find inspiration to create in a small town where it's harder to collaborate with people and create with like-minded people? Yeah. Um, so I, I'm a big fan of the long distance collab. So collabing with people where you kind of share footage and then you both kind of make a video, but in two different locations, that's what Audrey and I did. And that worked really well, though it was very hard. Um, I end up asking a lot of non-YouTubers to collaborate with me. You know, I'm mm-hmm. like, hey, could you get this? And they're not on you. They don't have anything invested. They're just doing it because they're my friend. Um, and we make videos together. But it's also kind of nice. I think that when you, when you have limitations like that in a small town, when you don't have every opportunity and all these people who are willing to help you, I think limitations um, really are a foundation for creativity and really can, can even push creativity in a way that it wouldn't have been had you not had those limitations. So, um, yeah, it's got its challenges, but, but uh, I think it also has its, its – it's, it's a big opportunity. I think that's great advice too because, I mean – most people don't live in Los Angeles or New York, right? Right. Like we have an idea in our mind of these creator communities, which like when I look at YouTube, obviously we're in LA. Yeah. I see the LA community. I see the New York community, mm-hmm. but the majority of people out there who are trying to create are in a smaller town, most right. likely. And I agree with you. There are so many benefits, even just access wise. You know, we were filming in a coffee shop today and they came up and said, oh, you have to pay to film here. Yeah. You can't do that. Yeah. I would imagine most places in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania you know, never had that. You just happen. introduce yourself, and it's totally fine. I don't even do that. You don't I even just, do that. You I just, just walk I mean, in. I did what I did today, which is I just started rolling, yeah. which was my problem today. But yeah, I mean, for me, for me in Harrisburg, 
for the most part, people are like, oh, fun, I get to be in a video. Totally. You know, and, and uh, I always handle it the same way I did today, which is, you know, uh, apologize and, yeah. and keep moving. You know, I'll, and the other thing is I always ask before I show somebody in, my, in one of my videos. You know, oftentimes I'll show strangers in my videos. They, they have always been asked if they're okay being on my, yeah. my vlog, and that's something I think that's important. All right. Another question here from Ben Hardiker. Yeah. Do you have topics planned already each day for your vlogs, or do you just go with the flow and let it happen? Let me tell you, I have about 247 topics in an Evernote workbook, all right? Um, the reason there are so many there is that oftentimes I'll get an, I'll get an idea, I'll put it in that workbook, but then I won't end up ever using it because I get another idea the morning of that day's vlog. So, yes, I have a lot of topics planned that I could go to if I ever don't have an idea. But because I have ADHD, I get ideas like, you know, I don't know what the saying would be, but I get a lot of ideas. So, so I, I generally end up just going with the flow of the day and turning it into something. So at a bare minimum, there's at least 247 more daily vlogs. Episodes available. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, episodes available <laughs> in the bank. Yeah, in, in, in the, the idea bank. In the idea bank, right. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. So th- th- there's like a group of questions now asking about how do you balance um, running your media company yeah. and, and creating for YouTube? Mm-hmm. So, so talk to us about when that. things started to, when I started to get more and more focused on my YouTube channel, I sat down with my partners and I said, look, I've done an analysis of where am I being effective in the media company? Because um, I was doing a lot of cold calling. I was doing a lot of email marketing, um, but cold, cold emailing. And I realized that the place where I was being effective was um, kind of inside marketing. So making videos that kind of showcase what we can do, that kind of put us in the public eye, right? On Whether that's on Facebook or Instagram or, or YouTube. Um, and pitching in person. So whether that's a one-on-one meeting or in front of a board, like that's where I was effective. That's where I was actually bringing in revenue. And I said, I want to stop doing everything else that I do. I, which included administration. So I, I used to do a lot with, uh, with the books, a lot with kind of, you know, managing payroll and, and some of those things, tax. And so I want to stop doing that stuff. I want to take a salary decrease. And I want to only focus my time within the media company on making content for us that pushes us out into the public's eye, which is something that my vlog does. And... Uh, and pitching in person, you know, sales, sales pitches. So my partners were cool with that. And, um, and that's what we did. We restructured, we decreased my salary and, and, uh, and yeah, we've been happy with it. So with the decrease in salary came uh, commission. So now I get paid on commission per project mm-hmm. that I land as opposed to just a, a flat salary. So, and, and that's incentive. I think everyone needs to do what works for them. So I am incentivized by making money. I'm incentivized, but I like that kind of competition the feel like I need to go win this thing in order to get some money. So that works for me, you know, commission based. That, that's really, I think good just insight to think like, Hey, where am I strong and where might I be not as efficient? And why don't I just hundred percent focus on where I'm strong strengths. And then you're able to develop another strength, which is now YouTube. Mm -hmm. So like, that's, that's pretty incredible that you take, you know, a a strength and a a weakness, you cut out the weakness and you develop another strength. Like it's, it's really interesting. Smart risk to take. 
right? When you take a risk but know that you're banking on your strengths to fill in that that gap. Right. And, and I want to correct myself there. It's not, not necessarily a weakness, but just like inefficiency, I guess, right. or, or something. I would call like, it a weakness. I mean, yeah. I'm, in, I'm incredibly weak at organization, at scheduling, time management, details. Like I have, I, I literally, I put them out on a whiteboard and I just crossed off everything that I felt like I wasn't strong at. Mm-hmm. The only thing that remained was just pitching in person. Yeah. That was it. And I circled it and I said to my partners, like, look, I'm bad at all this other stuff except for this. I'm really good at this. What if I invest 100% of my energy into this, what will that mean for us? Mm. And uh, so, yeah, that's strength-based business, and, and I believe in that. Where it really works well is when you have a team of 20 people and everybody's able to kind of fill in the gaps of everybody else's weaknesses. When you're a team of four, you know, it's harder to do that. Sure. But, um, but that's kind of the concept. It's not my, it's not my idea. It's just yeah. strength-based, the strength-based model. Yeah, but putting it into practice isn't super easy, no. right? No, it's not, it's, but it's, it was worth it, I, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, you have a uh, meetup to get to. Do I? Be- what time is it? Being in LA, it's three fifteen. Oh no! Uh, he he wants to be go. there. He wants to be there at four <laughs> four o'clock. Being in Los Angeles and trying to get anywhere in forty five minutes, that's pretty challenging, especially at, in the middle of the day. I like a challenge. Um, but part of it's challenging in the middle of the day, it doesn't get any easier in the morning. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's hard all the time. Um, but uh, Cody, thanks so much for stopping by. I really this is appreciate my pleasure. it. Um, last question. What, what was your um, perception versus reality of us? Yeah. Seeing us on YouTube versus meeting us in person. I, I mean, I just, I am so amazed at, I mean, and not to take anything away from you, but all of the creators I've met, their ability to be authentic on camera. And that is, that is 100% the case with the two of you. You are authentically yourselves on your videos. So when I walked in and you popped open that door <laughs> and you're freaking out and I'm freaking out, I'm like, oh my goodness, these are my friends. Yeah. I felt like I had friends that I was meeting, like that I was seeing again. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That I was seeing again instead of meeting you for the first time. So that is, that is a, I did not expect that. It, about YouTube, you know what I'm saying? Not about the two yeah, of you. Sure. About mm-hmm. YouTube, to be able to make friends through videos. Mm. And uh, yeah, so. It's truly a community. It yeah. truly is. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I consider it to be one of the most valuable things that has come into my life. Is, is Me YouTube too. And the 100%. To, to now know someone in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, or Jack Cohen in New York City. Yeah. It, uh, it's wild. I love it. Wild. So um, tell us where we can follow, where should we tune in, what can we yeah. expect? Yep. Where do we so, see the embodiment of those 247 ideas? Yeah, yeah. My YouTube channel is the best place, which is youtube.com slash rcodywanner, R-C-O-D-Y-W-A-N-N-E-R. And uh, I'm also on Instagram, at Cody Wanner. I'm also on Twitter, at Cody Wanner. And those are the places. And all those links will be in the description for this podcast. I should mention one more, which is the No Small Creator Facebook group, and then the Discord, which you can get a link to in the Facebook group. But that's just search for hashtag No Small Creator, all one word. Apply. Maybe we'll let, we'll let you in. I got in. So, yeah. <laughs> Maybe you guys can get into. My application is still pending. <laughs> He's not getting in. All right. Thanks so much, Cody. Thank you. All right. That was episode 15 of the Colin and Samir podcast. Make sure to check out the video we made with Cody when he stopped by our studio in downtown LA. That video is on our YouTube channel now, and the link is also in the description for this podcast. We also wanted to ask a favor of you. 
we're looking to interview more female creators for this podcast. So if you have a female creator in mind that you think would be good for this podcast, please tweet, DM, or email us with their information and we'll reach out to them to get them on the show. That's it for this week. Tune in next week for another episode of the Colin and Samir podcast.